0: Hi, welcome to King of Stories from Down Under. I'm Nathaniel Castilla, and today I have the privilege of interviewing someone from our family, from my own family. We haven't done this King of Stories from Down Under before, and today with me in the studio is Susan, Susu, as we call you, yes. Zapia, recently married, yes. uh, living in Melbourne, <laughs> and making the trip across, across the Nullarbor for your mum's birthday, birthday yes. which was last night, and we celebrated it together.
1: That's right. Yes. It's a privilege to be here and to be interviewed. Okay. such an honor.
0: So you made a trip just for your mom's birthday?
1: Yes. And for my husband to meet the family.
0: Oh, yeah. He hasn't been here. We we weren't able to go to the wedding because of COVID, of course. Yes. Small
1: uh, COVID wedding. Yeah. Yes.
0: How many people were you allowed to have?
1: We essentially wanted five, but the restrictions opened to 120 Oh. So we ended up with one twenty.
0: Oh, you had a full, full blown out wedding.
1: Outdoor wedding, yes. That's nice. <laughs> Socially distancing. Yeah. Of course.
0: <laughs> Even at the uh, no, uh, at the reception you could sit together. Was so, you couldn't have a reception? We
1: had you? an outdoor reception. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes.
0: Fantastic. So, was your mum impressed?
1: I think she was. I think yeah. she was very impressed.
0: The only daughter comes to see her on a special day. Yes. That's beautiful. Yes. And you didn't tell her that you're bringing Toby with you.
1: No, so I wanted that to be the surprise oh, and a gift. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you surprised us all because uh, we didn't know you you're coming with him.
1: That's so right. Yeah. Especially
0: that you came just for a snap weekend, just for the short weekend, and then you're flying back. Yeah. In fact, you're flying back tomorrow. Understand? Tomorrow
1: night. Yes. Tomorrow
0: night. On the red eye.
1: Yes, that's correct. Yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so for those people who don't know, the red eye is the overnight flight that makes it from here to Melbourne, to the East Coast, and you lose two hours in between, which makes it even a shorter night.
1: We do. So we leave at one o'clock in the morning, and we arrive at 7 a.m. Yeah. Melbourne time. You've
0: eaten two hours on the way. Yeah. Australia's quite wide. Yes. So Melbourne, Melbourne, that's where your life began as well, isn't it? Yes. What year were you born in?
1: 94.
0: 94. So just before I left Melbourne or maybe you were born and then I left Melbourne anyway
1: I would not remember yeah I I
0: think I was in Melbourne when 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 you were born and then I left yeah wow that's uh it seems uh a distant a distant past Mm. so born in Melbourne Mm -hmm. um what's your first memory of childhood
1: oh first memory okay I think it would be getting an electric car When I was three years old. Okay. My dad coming home and buying me this pink four-wheel drive electric car and us zooming around the park together. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that would be my first memory.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Nice. So, you grew up in Richmond?
1: Yep. So, I grew up in Richmond Housing Commission. Okay.
0: Yeah. Mom, dad, uh, grandma. Yes. So you lived in the same building. Mom, you guys lived on a different floor than your grandma.
1: Yes, so we lived on the 14th floor, and our grandmother lived on the 6th floor.
0: Okay, same building. Same building. Obviously, obviously, your grandma is my mom. Yes. And I know exactly, (laughs) because I lived in the same commission flats with you. Yes. (laughs) While you were born. Okay, Okay. wonderful, wonderful. And uh, what, what else do you remember? So you remember your dad bringing you a... Pink 4x4.
1: Yes. I remember... Which was um, fun. Which was fun.
0: Yeah.
1: I remember my father coming home with pizza. Yeah, because he was a pizza, pizza, maker, yeah. yep, pizza maker. Yeah, pizza maker. Yeah. So eating a lot of pizza yeah. when he'd get home. Late at night. Late at night, yes. With my grandmother as well. She yeah. used to come upstairs and we used to eat pizza together. Um, I also remember a lot of... You know, at first you remember a lot of positive memories, but then there's a lot of negative memories as well. Yeah. I remember my parents divorcing at the age of four. Okay. Um, we traveled. I know my father moved to Sydney to open up a La Polquera in mm-hmm. Sydney. And I think a month into it, me and my mum went to go travel and surprise him. Um, and my mum had walked in on him with another woman. Mm. So I do remember that. And I do remember her being distressed and I was, I think, four and a half years old, so I was didn't really understand much, Yeah. but I remember her being very distressed um, and just not wanting to live anymore mm. and really voicing that to me, which was quite scary, hearing that as a child. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest memory that I remember. I think my first negative memory mm-hmm. I remember when I was younger.
0: That... Obviously touched some buttons, some emotional buttons from an early childhood.
1: Mm.
0: And then you came back to Melbourne with mum.
1: We were in Sydney for about a week. Mm -hmm. Um, she, She came home that night and she had told me that she wanted to take her life. She told me that there was no reason to live and that we would be better off dying. Both of you? Both of us, yes. So she had taken some sleeping tablets... And she gave me a bath and told me she was going to drown me Mm -hmm. and that I would die and she'd go to sleep and she would die and Things would be better that way. I remember trying to tell her, you know, we have each other and you don't know when you're a child You just know what to say. Or maybe it was the Lord speaking through me Um, She couldn't hold me under the water for long enough to do anything Um, I think as a mother She just couldn't go through with it. She did overdose though. And Mm -hmm. I did call the ambulance at that age to come and come to the house. I just called the number and I just spoke with them. They traced the phone line and yeah, they came and got her and took her to the hospital. Um, So that was a quite a big event before we came back to Melbourne.
0: So that was in Sydney, in a hotel? That was in Sydney. In a hotel. In a house. Oh, in a house. Yes. Yes. That could have been one of her lowest points in life, as well. The shock, I think the, so. just not not having the ability to deal with nothing yeah. prepares you to deal with that in life. No,
1: right? no.
0: And um, so obviously that was very vivid. Has it impacted you a lot? I mean, looking at it now.
1: I think looking at it now, um, there's a lot of reflecting. I mean, I've shared my story many times, mm-hmm. and this is something that I don't always share when I share my story. Yeah, of course. But it's the first first real impact or event that really changed my life and my mother's life. Mm. And being under her care, that's where I saw her go downhill, Yeah, um, which obviously affected me. So I do reflect on it. And when I reflect on it, I do see um, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. Um, a lot of pain from my mum. Yeah. Yeah, but also a lot of pain that it has Im- impacted in my childhood, mm. with trusting men and looking for self worth in a relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because of the hurt that your dad caused to your mum and also to yourself by living, yes. just deserting you.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And when you came back, uh, how did things shape up back to Melbourne with mum?
1: You know, I don't really remember much after that. I remember coming back, um, going to school.
0: What school did you go to?
1: I went to St. Ignatius Primary School. Okay. So it was located on top of this hill in Richmond.
0: Was it Anglican or? Um, Catholic. Catholic. Catholic
1: Primary School. I remember walking, I'd walk to school alone from the age of eight, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd walk up this steep hill.
0: On Lennox Street? Yes. Yeah?
1: Yes, I remember that very well. Um, I had, you know, a lot of friends. Um, It was a bit, a bit of a rough area, housing commission. Of course. So, you know, you would see people fighting, you'd see knives being pulled out. Yeah. Um. Every day there'd be two, three overdoses. Yeah. In the laundry, in the lift.
0: Yeah.
1: In the car park. Yeah. So it was very common. Um, So I was subject to all of this around me Mm. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in grade three, I think I was nine years old, and playing on the playground and getting stabbed by a syringe that was uncapped and needing to go to the doctor to do a hepatitis check, Yeah. see if I had hep C. Um, but that was so common Yeah. that it was really normal thing to do every year, They check the children for hepatitis in that area. Yeah,
0: it was a harsh area. I grew yeah. up, I spent quite a bit of time of my teenage years in Richmond, in the same mm-hmm. flats area, and I remember walking from Richmond High um, many times, uh, you know, I would go to a swimming pool and then walk home from the pools, mm-hmm. you know, across the oval there. Um, and uh, I'd be haunted by predators, mm-hmm. you know, pedophiles, yes. homosexuals, a lot of the times. But because I was part of the landscape, you know, part of the people, they knew, I knew who they were, they knew mm-hmm. who I was. So after a while, they backed off, in a yeah. the sense, they were looking for somebody else because I was already part of the furniture, you know? Yeah, that's right. Part of the architecture, you know? It's you knew them. territorial. They, but, mm. uh, you know, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, only God's hand was at work because mm. so many things could have happened, so many things could have happened, and I've, I've just been sheltered, you know? Yeah. I remember having a part-time job selling secondhand furniture at one of the markets in Port Melbourne. And the guy, I mean, he had a Catholic altar in his second-hand shop. And um, uh, I was selling furniture on a Saturday morning for him. And one day he came to me. He said, come in my prayer room. So I went in the prayer room. And he, he just put his hand on me. And I said, Matt, you take your hands off me or I'll dub you in. Mm. And I said, I want my pay and I'm out of here, never coming back. You yeah. Know? But you build up that strength, that grit, that street smart.
1: That's right.
0: You you, you yes. pick them up, you know, immediately. And right. uh, I mean, in a sense, it's never pleasant to grow up in a neighborhood like that. But in another sense, you just become so street smart. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not. Mm-hmm. I never feared them. Yeah. Maybe in the first few weeks, I would have feared them. But after that, you know, I would confront mm. them. It was never, you know, I could run or I could, you know yeah so it's it's interesting you know but you know uh, it's a reality of life that's how life was there
1: yeah yeah definitely and even
0: though Richmond seems such a posh suburb there's so much dirt and filth and prostitution and that's right. and you know everything was was there drugs you know yeah fights um, it was quite you know a nasty mm. area mm-hmm. um, tell me a little bit about uh, my mom your grandma yes uh What's your first memory of her?
1: Oh, my first memory of her. Her singing.
0: Yeah.
1: I think around three. You know, besides eating the pizza together with my grandmother and my father. um, Her singing. She'd sing from a book, a Romanian book, and she'd sing worship songs. And, you know, I'd just look at her and watch her sing. And I'd just see so much joy. Um... My mum used to tell me stories before bed, but she used to sing to me and that's, it was just different, Mm. you know. My love for music now is just beautiful and I think that that planted a seed of worship in my heart, Mm. listening to her sing. So that's one of the first memories I have, is her singing. And
0: then through the challenges that you had in your, uh, obviously, childhood years with with mum getting on, all sorts of things... uh, Grandma offered Mama Maria as you call her. Yes. She offered uh, a stable a stable belonging for you, didn't she?
1: She did she did so she I see her I saw her as my mother mm-hmm. um, She was a big part of my upbringing She raised me. Yeah, I feel like she was my sole giver mm-hmm. um, And then my my mother was there, but she wasn't really there not the way my grandmother was. Yes. So Mama Maria was that, that real person I could go for support and comfort. Yes. So my identity, you know, definitely she had a big part to play in my identity and who I was. Mm. Um, yes, my mom did get into drugs and there was a lot that went on at the time. Um, from the age of 10, 9 or 10, she sat me down and told me what she was doing. Yeah. She was very transparent. Mm-hmm. And I became very involved um, she would tell me what quantities were. I was going out selling on the street for her at the age of 10. Um, cause in Victoria, you can't strip search a child under the age of 12. Okay. So I would definitely take, you know, heroin. It was a big heroin city. Richmond was, yeah. and it still is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd be taking heroin down to Victoria street and selling caps for $50 mm. and the police couldn't search me.
0: And then they knew who you were.
1: They knew who I was, of course. Yes, everyone knew. Yeah. Um, but you, there's a process to get sure. a warrant.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's a process, them. and there's a process. Obviously, they were after the bigger guys, not after the street sellers.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: They they that's needed right. to nip it a lot upper. You know. They're going for the big fish. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, so I was very exposed to that. That my drug use began at the age of. 11 12 Mm -hmm. you know if we're talking about drug use as alcohol and marijuana that began at that age 11 11 with
0: her or on your own with her yeah
1: yeah she did not drink or take cannabis Mm -hmm. marijuana but it was in the house
0: she allowed you to have
1: well she said to me you know if you're gonna do it do it here somewhere safe instead of going on the street to do it Mm -hmm. and at that stage I had friends who were soliciting themselves at the age of 11 and 12 mm. just to get drugs. Yeah. So I think she was very fearful Yes. of me doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in her mind, it was a protection, motherly protection, um, but yes, in the house at the age of 11, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And then before you know it, it es- escalated to the speed, to the pills, and it just really got out of hand. Mm. Um, you know, my, I remember my 14th birthday, waking up the next morning, getting my stomach pumped in hospital because I went too hard. Yeah. So definitely a very different childhood yeah. to what.
0: And in school, yeah. how, how were you doing? How were you managing?
1: Um, school was interesting. I finished primary school at the Catholic Church at St yes. Ignatius. And then my mum just ended up getting in with the right connections and it ended up, you know, it went from selling on the street to selling larger quantities
0: yeah.
1: interstate, overseas. Yes. So we fell into quite a lot of money. Yeah. So I went to a public school. Mm-hmm. Sorry, a private, private school, school. From, from a public school. So that was a big change, a really big change. Growing up in an environment that was very economically... Poor, yes. To then being surrounded by people who are quite wealthy. Yeah. That was a very hard transition. Yeah. Um, my appreciation for money, I mean, it came so easy. So it was so easy to spend. Sure. Yeah. So we did have quite a lot of wealth for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I went to a very good private school. Still a lot of drugs circulating in private schools. Yes. Probably more than yeah. private schools, uh, public schools. Um. But, yeah, my mum wasn't around much because she was traveling. Mm-hmm. So I always had a babysitter with me. So there was a lot of that disconnect
0: Yeah.
1: Um, in our relationship. Um, and my drug use just escalated because I had the money. Yeah. And everyone was my friend because I had money.
0: And uh, um, academically?
1: Academically, I did struggle. Um, I didn't learn how to read or write until I was... About 15 mm-hmm. really I had all my tutors doing my work and you know money gets you a long way so just pay people and before for in
0: primary school how did you get by in primary school
1: it yeah there wasn't much education there the education was quite minimal so there was just basic uh-huh. stuff so you just get by yeah the there were so many students in the class there was probably like 47 for each class
0: yeah So you just got lost in the crowd, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: And um, how did you hide this from Mama Maria? Um, Because I know she knew of your mom. She knew of Dina, what she was doing. Well, not she didn't know what she was doing, but she knew that she wasn't well, obviously, and she was using. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think she had a full grasp of, of your involvement and your situation
1: yes so I I was still very close with her Mm -hmm. throughout this whole time I think she did know that there was something going on with me even though we didn't talk about it sure um she was never the type to call out the judgment
0: yeah she wasn't invasive at all.
1: no she wasn't invasive so if you wanted to share you could share if you didn't Mm -hmm. then she was fine to just sit with the information you gave her so I never shared I never, at that point, I didn't get to the point where I felt like, I almost felt ashamed. I saw her as this beautiful, holy person.
0: So you wanted to shelter her?
1: So I did, yes. I wanted to show her the good that was in me and not the bad, so I would definitely hide that from her.
0: Was there a place where you felt like you belonged any time you could go back Um, to her?
1: I felt safe with her. Mm -hmm. I never felt safe. I felt like since the whole, um, my mum's attempted suicide and since that whole divorce, I I didn't feel safe from that moment on forth. I loved my mum. Yes. But the only time I felt safe was with my grandmother.
0: And also on the streets.
1: So she was my safe. Safe Safe haven. Also on
0: the streets, it was quite dangerous. Of course. It was, I mean, you'd always look over your shoulders for cops, for uh, criminals. I mean, you'd be haunted as well, wouldn't you? Yeah. As a drug dealer.
1: Yep. And even being a child didn't mean that
0: In fact it didn't most mean so that other to people wouldn't you take advantage to, yeah. of oh, it. Yeah. Could. It'd mean
1: they would, because yeah. you'd be an easy prey. Yeah. Um even in the house there was just Traffic, people raids, coming through. Police raids. Oh police raids. Once a month. Okay. You know? They would raid yeah. us, they'd take the hinge, the door off our hinges. At one point we just had a curtain. As a door. Yeah. Because there's no point putting it back on because we knew next month they'd come again. Yeah. So there's that fear of, are the police going to come? Do I have to hide my drugs? Am yeah. I safe? Am I going to get raped? Am I going to get bashed? Yeah. It was that continuous... Tense. Tense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: Mm. And then you went uh, into heroin as well?
1: No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I did smoke it a few times here and there. They would mix it a lot with the cannabis. Yeah to try and get a lot of the young kids hooked yes. and then sell them heroin. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of Because obviously heroin
0: is the worst of them in addiction terms, probably.
1: Yeah. yeah. As, as I, the
0: addiction. That's why they, they obviously they want to get you to, to heroin as much yeah. as possible.
1: I think when it, when it comes to injecting, it's very hard to turn away. Mm-hmm. I've seen that with a lot of, um, obviously, my personal experience and my professional experience. But as yeah. soon as you start injecting, it can be very Because it's instant
0: hard. and it's powerful and it's all-consuming.
1: That's right. And it's Cripsy. the act. Yeah. It's the act of doing it as well mm-hmm. that people are addicted to. So people would just inject water. Oh, but it's for the act and yeah. the rush and the feeling as well. Um, I never got to injecting. Mm-hmm. My mom had a phobia of needles.
0: So she never went there. So she there. never went there. Okay.
1: But I was exposed to it. To people coming inside the house, yeah, not just injecting in their arms, but their neck, their groin.
0: They ran out of skin places basically, and they would do it there on the spot. They wouldn't even they wouldn't even go outside.
1: No, no, they'd do it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a few people overdose and die as well in our house. So when it's yeah, die, die. Yes.
0: So somebody died in your house.
1: More than one person. Yeah.
0: That's frightening. hmm But then you do, did move away from, from the state housing, didn't you?
1: Yes. So for year seven, when I started high school, when we did have a lot of money, we did move. Mm-hmm. We had a few different properties. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we lived on St. Kilda Road mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. Near Albert Park. Um, I, we did end up back in housing commission. Yeah. And that's when we moved in with Mama Maria. Yeah. Yeah. So we moved away for a couple of years and moved back.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: That's when my mom lost quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. She went from um, smoking cocaine to smoking heroin.
0: Mm-hmm. And she had a really rough ride with, with the dealers that she was working with because she began to be haunted by them, didn't she?
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, she was using the product that she had to sell. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then they were chasing her.
1: They were chasing her.
0: And you ended up on the streets for a while, didn't you?
1: I did, yeah. Both of you. We were both on the street together. Mm-hmm. We were both on the street, couch surfing, sleeping in front of homeless shelters, trying to get a bed mm-hmm. for quite a while.
0: How old were you then? 16, 17?
1: I was 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was just this routine of going to shops, stealing. Yeah. Whether it's creams... Whether it's meat didn't matter. Whether it's just lingerie, had we, we had to steal in yeah. order to sell. Yeah. In order to to score. Survive. Oh to, oh, to, to score. get drugs. Yeah. Um you know, so it's still lingerie. We'd go to brothels, sell the lingerie. Go to the dealer's house. Buy
0: the drugs. Buy the drugs. And do the same thing. But it's
1: not just the pattern. You go, you wait at the dealer's house for three hours, by the time he's ready to see you, you see him, you get the drugs, and it you don't even get a high.
0: Yeah. You're too tired. But you're then too you're tired. Too you're just surviving not
1: it. ill. You're not sick, pretty much. Yeah. Wake up the next day, you do the same thing. And that went on, it felt like forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It is a trap, isn't it?
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: What's, what's the sense of awareness that you have? Do you have any sense of awareness? Mm. How do you see people as you walk down the street and... I mean, you're so detached. You're in another world, aren't you?
1: You're very detached, but you you think that everyone's in that world with you. Mm-hmm. You can't understand someone who works nine to five and say they're happy and have a family. Like that just doesn't really make sense. That sure. sounds like a fairy tale. No, no. Because you're so far away from that truth and that reality. And what's
0: what's the level of awareness of that? current reality is there aware uh, is there any any you know a milligram of awareness
1: i mean we knew that this wasn't life sure we knew that it was a pattern yeah and a cycle and we knew we wanted out yes we had that awareness Mm -hmm. but there was no thought past that of how to get out Mm -hmm. because it just seemed so impossible so that's where it stopped
0: so you didn't entertain the thought any further no Mm-hmm. Yeah Any spiritual Obviously your mum had a strong spiritual bringing You've had strong spiritual bringing with Mom Maria Yes Any spiritual awareness in the thick of it all?
1: Um, yeah, like my mum used to get high and read the Bible mm-hmm. To me all the time
0: mm-hmm.
1: When I was high Yeah <laughs> You know, and I used to sit and, and call her a hypocrite Yeah we would have debates and arguments and I just thought this is just another religion it's another way of living if that's going to make you happy you do you and I will continue to believe that there's something there but I was very sceptical with believing that Jesus was the son of God and believing the gospel because the example I had in my life wasn't reflecting the freedom that she was preaching. Yeah. So it was very hard to want to mm. know more. Mm. Um, in saying that, I was quite spiritually aware. We had people coming in and out of our house, so we saw a lot of demonic activity.
0: Oh, you saw the ugliness um, of We saw the, the
1: ugliness. I hadn't <laughs> of experienced the, the glory of God, but I'd seen a lot of demonic activity. Yeah. You know. Manifestation. Manifestations. Um... Oh, I don't know where to start. Demonic tongues. Yeah. um, Furniture, levitating. Yeah. um, Just spirits.
0: What shocked you the most? Ugly
1: spirits. Um, Yeah, I remember there was this one guy and he just knew the Bible back to front.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He knew the Bible back to front. And he had told me he'd made a deal with the devil and there were many demons inside of him and I'd just see him manifest and... It was just so real that it wasn't put on. And it would scare me. Mm. It would actually scare me. And I'd always think if there's if this darkness exists, there must be be a light. And I'm not living in the light. No. (laughs) And I don't want to be in the darkness. Yeah. You know, and people would say, oh, it's drug-induced psychosis. Yeah. It's the drugs. It's the drugs.
0: It's just a term. But it is spiritual. They also know it's spiritual, but they just can't pinpointed because they can't control the spiritual world. So they will right. control it through the, or at least define it through the medical terms of psychology and psychiatry. Correct. Now, um, boys, men, in your teenage years, yes. obviously you still have, uh, you had a, a perspective which wasn't very healthy towards men because mm-hmm. of the pain of your dad leaving. Yeah. How how did that um, affect you in your teenage years in having a boyfriend relationships?
1: Mm. So my first boyfriend, I was 14, Mm -hmm. and he was 24. Um, The one after that was a drug dealer who... I was 17, and he was 34. Who You know, it was not a very good relationship. It was more like a transaction. Mm -hmm. You know, I was with him, therefore I had drugs and I had accommodation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Obviously, almost double your age, if he was double Yeah, your
1: age. yeah. I was definitely looking for safety mm-hmm. in an older man that I didn't have yeah. in my father.
0: Probably more of a father safety rather than a husband safety.
1: That's right, mm-hmm. that's right.
0: So why do you think, is that why possibly you were attracted to older men than uh,
1: I think younger so.
0: boys your age, or you found them very mature, very responsible?
1: Well, I found that older men usually had more connections in the drug world. Being quite honest with yeah. you, because that's I was wired to think that way. Yeah. So You're older men had more money. Yeah. Um, they had more connections, more finances could provide for me. Yeah. And there was a different level of maturity. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I grew up really quick. Yeah. Well, you had so to. So I couldn't. I couldn't be friends with people my age. Yeah. Because there'd be nothing to talk about. Sure. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. Mm. Have you fallen in love with any of these men or boys?
1: Yes. Yes, I did fall in love with one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in that relationship for four and a half years, mm-hmm. almost five years.
0: Yeah. Was he a user as well?
1: He was. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Were you able to help him or was he able to help you or...? You were both in the same...
1: We were in the same boat when we met each other. He was yeah. a heroin user.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, IV injecting, unit, injecting user. Yeah. Um, and I was an ice user. Mm-hmm. So smoking. So we were both in a similar boat of addiction. Yeah. But within one year of being together, I had decided that I didn't want that life anymore. Yes. So I'd stepped away from it. And that's when I started you know, living with my grandmother... Yeah, so she really helped me. Then
0: he. What, so you you made a choice, a conscious contra- So you were living with him, and you you moved back with mom. Yes. In her little house in my grandma, Taylor yeah. Lakes. Yep. Yeah. So no more commission flats. You were in a suburbia now.
1: uh if we rewind a bit back. Yeah. So when me and my mom were on the streets, she ended up going to jail. Yeah. She got caught for Drugged. theft. Oh, theft. And possession. Okay. Um. So that's when I was homeless sleeping on the street. Yeah. And through that, there was a lot of, um, trials, you know, I was raped m- multiple times. I had, was very unsafe, a lot of trauma from that time. Yeah. Um, I'd visit her in prison and be upset that she had a roof over her head and she had three meals a day. I'd go days without eating cause I had no identification
0: Yeah.
1: because the police had raided our house so many times. I didn't have a birth certificate to go and get any welfare benefits yeah. from Centrelink. Um, so when she came back out, I tried to live with her, but she just went back into the same old patterns. Yeah. She would steal from me my money. Yeah. I couldn't trust her. Yeah. So that's when I decided to move in with my grandmother. Yeah. Um, and while moving in with her, that's when I met my partner, my ex-partner. Yeah. Um, and I moved in with him for a while. Yeah, and then moved back in with my grandmother once I stopped taking drugs because I couldn't be that so around you, you, that environment.
0: You, what made you want to stop?
1: Um, I, I think I knew that. I mean, I saw around that time everyone was graduating from high school. All my old friends, I dropped out in year nine. Yeah. Um, I saw them going to universities. You know, they got to go to a formal, a prom. I never got to go to one of those. Yeah. I saw people changing around me. I had more of this awareness. Yeah. Um. And I just thought, if I can just get off mm. this cycle of addiction, yes, my life will change.
0: What made you think that you could?
1: Yeah. What made me think that I could? To be quite honest with you, at that m- m- moment, I don't know where I had my hope from.
0: So you I, worked enough courage to leave the relationship. I of a person whom you loved. Yes. And decide to get out of drugs.
1: I got out of drugs a year into the relationship. I stayed with him three years. After I was clean. So. Oh, well. you still stayed with I him. I stayed with and him, and he was still in drugs. Yes.
0: Okay. So. You worked out the courage to come and live with Mama Maria. Yes. Cold turkey?
1: Not, exact, not exactly, yeah. no, no, I cut down.
0: So you, you told her what's going on or did she know, she knew?
1: I feel like she knew. She mm-hmm. didn't say she knew, Yeah. Um, but I told her, I told her everything Yeah. and she was not judgmental.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If anything, she was not upset, she was sad. She cried. Yeah. Um, and that's someone in my life who I consider to be, you know, someone I'd look up to. Yes. So I expected them to be angry, but mm. she cried. And I could see her sadness for me and her desire to help me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that really touched me. Yeah. And gave me the motivation to keep going. So I did cut down. Um, I did use for a period while living with her mm-hmm. until I was able to stop completely. Um, I was still seeing my partner at the time. Yeah. Um, when I lived with my partner, he did have his son there. So I was helping him raise his son. Yeah. So, you know, I would have been 19 mm. helping raise a one year old. Yeah. So it was a very, um, dysfunctional relationship. Mm. Um, I did not want to leave that relationship. I thought he would stop with me. Yeah. He did tell me he would stop. Yeah. And I believed him. Yeah. And then he didn't. And I just remember one night, enough was enough. And I just said, I need to walk away from this. So I gave him an ultimatum. I said, six months. Yeah. You've got six months. And in that six months, so much happened to my life that I did not expect. You cleaned up? More than me cleaning up. I didn't just clean up, but my mom came to me crying, saying she had enough. And I'd heard her say that so many times, but I don't know. I believed it. I think living with my grandmother
0: yeah gave you confidence. Gave right? me
1: confidence and made me believe in people because I saw how much she believed in me. Yeah. So then I started believing and being like, okay, maybe she can stop. Mm. I was able to do it. Maybe she can do it.
0: So you were living full-time with her, like all the time? Were you working? Were you doing anything? Or were you just there all day?
1: So I was studying full-time. Mm-hmm. I was studying my bachelor's degree in youth work. Okay. I wanted to give back. Yeah. I thought that, look, if I am if I was able to conquer sobriety, <laughs> that I want to support other people to do the same. Sure. And I felt like that was my calling or my purpose. Yes. Um, before I found my faith. And... So I was studying full-time, I was volunteering at yeah. homeless shelters, yeah. anything to give back. Um, working at a cafe, part-time as well, so I was doing quite a lot.
0: And Maori was dedicated to your, obviously, cleaning up. She was there for you all the time.
1: All the time. All the time. There was always shelter and food. Um, towards the end of her life, she was struggling as well, so obviously I cared for her. Mm-hmm. Um, which was an honor to do so, after someone cared for me my whole life. Yeah.
0: So. And um, spiritual awakening, when I mean, did that happen to you?
1: Yeah. Um, I remember sleeping on the couch. So Housing Commission had built this one bedroom unit in my auntie's backyard. Yeah. So she'd sleep in the bedroom I'd sleep on the couch. Yeah. And I would always hear her praying. hmm You know, it was very thin walls. Yeah. And I used to hear her speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. praying in tongues. And they weren't tongues that I'd heard before. There were, you know, I'd heard demonic tongues, and these tongues just felt peace when she'd pray. Yeah. I'd, heard her, I'd hear her pray for each and every family member.
0: Yeah.
1: Every single night or multiple times a day. Yeah. So that's when I really started questioning. hmm and I'd ask her questions. What is that language that you're speaking in? Yeah. You know, why are you praying for these people? Has yeah. God ever done anything? She'd share testimonies with me and I'd want to believe them, but still question. Yeah. That's when I feel like my journey began Began spiritually, when I started questioning and asking mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Um, when she passed away, well, before she passed away, she knew. Yeah. She would say, my time's coming, my time's coming. Yeah. She just had so much peace. She couldn't wait. She used to say, I can't wait to go be with her father. And she'd smile. And it was just, I was like, you're mad. <laughs> you're, <laughs> what do you mean you can't wait to die? Like, you're mad. <laughs> um, I, obviously, I understand it now. It's beautiful. But at that moment, I couldn't understand. Yeah how she was just embracing death
0: you know um, do you know I mean we were all there when she departed when she graduated I say when she graduated because I think she graduated um, and we we're singing hallelujah around her mm. as she was dying we, we basically ushered her into heaven yes. I, you know I feel yes. like I handed her over to, to God you know it was just a beautiful beautiful moment and um, one of the nurses came to us afterwards. I don't know if you know the story. And she came to us and she said, um, you know, we see a lot of people in palliative care. We see a lot of people dying here. And we've, I've never seen anyone die so beautifully. Mm. And she said, can I go and kiss her? Oh, wow. A nurse asked to go and kiss her after we closed the door. And, we, and she went, kissed her. And she put a yellow flower on her chest. Mm -hmm. This is a nurse, professional. She said, this woman was a saint. She said, I've never, she said, in my professional life, I've never seen anyone depart so Mm. beautifully. You know, I mean, to testify to your last breath of Jesus. Yes. That is powerful.
1: That is powerful.
0: So what happened after her death, after her departure?
1: I believe that I first met Jesus at her death. Mm -hmm. That's where everything changed for me. Yeah. That's where my life completely changed. I never would have thought in a million years that in death... There's life. ...it birthed a spiritual life within me. Yeah. But in her death, when we were there, we were praying and I was holding her hand. Yeah. I just felt fire from my feet. Mm-hmm. From the toes of my feet to the top tip of my head. Yeah. I felt peace. I'd never felt I couldn't remember ever feeling that peace ever in my life. Yeah. I was just so overwhelmed and it was just so beautiful and I just never wanted that feeling to stop. Yeah. It was incredible. And I know she felt it too. We experienced it together. Yeah. And I know you felt it too. I could feel like All of us felt it in that moment. It was... I'll never forget that. I like to say that that was the first time I met Jesus. Mm. My first encounter, spiritual encounter. And from that moment, that's when I made a decision to give my life to the Lord. That's what did it.
0: Mm.
1: I feel like a seed was planted. Yeah. And then I just decided to grow. Just in that moment, that was my time.
0: The kernel broke. That's right. Mm. Mm. And were you were you clean at that time, or you were still struggling?
1: No, I was clean then. I was clean,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, what did you do after after her departure? Do you remember what was?
1: What did I do? I remember a lot of people were sad and taking photos and crying, and I just couldn't understand why they were crying. Yeah, because <laughs> you,
0: you knew her. Uh, you knew she wasn't there anymore.
1: Yeah, in my head, I'm like, why are all these people crying? Like, she's with the father because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, you know, she told me that so many times yeah. and she was happy, and I felt the Lord take her. Yeah. Um. From that moment, you know, I I remember the funeral being not long after. Yeah. I remember telling you that I want to give my life to Jesus. I remember going upstairs and holding your hand and us praying and me inviting Jesus into my heart. I remember that. Like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that moment. It was very scary telling somebody. Yeah. But that's where the freedom began. That's when my walk began.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you shared at the funeral.
1: I did. I did. Before her death, she wanted me to speak on behalf of all of my cousins. Yeah. We went shopping for the outfit that I'd wear, down to the socks. Yeah. So she was well prepared for that day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She paid for the funeral up front and everything. Everything. The last detail was yeah. sorted. Yeah.
1: It was a very emotional time to share on behalf of my cousins and everyone. I don't even remember sharing, to be yeah. honest with you. It's all a blur.
0: We probably have it on the camera somewhere.
1: Yeah. We haven't looked back. Um, but a very significant event in my life.
0: And then you got baptised a few months later, or was it a year later?
1: Um... She passed away in June, June, and I got baptized in November.
0: November the same year. I so, remember I came to Melbourne at a table where you got baptized.
1: Yes. So not long after I gave my life to Jesus, I went and told my ex-partner, the yeah. partner I was with at the moment, and he's a Catholic, and he said, look, that's fine. We believe in Jesus as well as long as you don't tell me about it and preach my ear off it, it's fine. I was like, well, that's all I want to do yeah <laughs> so i said i'm going to get baptized if you don't want to do the same i can't be in this relationship and he didn't of course want to different journey um a week after the death i went into an operation mm-hmm. so it was i felt like i kind of skipped the morning didn't have really time to process yeah. and i just more just wanted to go for a swim and get in those waters and give my life to the Lord and be born again.
0: Yeah.
1: The church I went to, it was hard for me. You know, I want to get baptized now, like yeah. today. Again. And they were like, oh, oh, no. Oh, oh, back then. Yeah. Back then, they're like, no, you're not ready. You're not ready for that. You don't understand enough. But yes. for me, I had that encounter with the Lord, so I understood enough.
0: For you, it was real. The journey had begun. Yes. But for them, they wanted proof. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. They, they wanted, wanted fruit. Proof. Yes. Yeah. Um, be- before the tree was planted. <laughs> exactly. How can I give you the fruit without the tree? <laughs> yeah. um, but so the kernel
0: was... has just, uh, had just erupted. It was still underground. They couldn't see. It. They wanted to see something before they would yes. fully immerse you. Yeah.
1: Um, so it was, very, it was very hard. To be quite honest with you, I did not want to go get baptized at another church mm-hmm. because I was holding on to my grandmother because she the went heritage. to that church. Yeah, the heritage. So she would sit in a chair. I always sat in the chair that she used to sit in. I couldn't let go. So I felt connected to her going to that church. Yeah. It was, I said all the right things to get baptized. Yeah. Because I wanted to get baptized. You knew the
0: lingo, you knew what they expected, so you played played by the rules.
1: Look, I did push at the beginning. Yeah. And I saw that they were a bit shaken by my pushing and my questions that I asked them. (laughs) So I thought, you know, I'll just comply, get in the waters.
0: They didn't realize that you, you, you were street smart, that you had That's <laughs> a right. journey they, they would never even read about. Exactly. <laughs> you know?
1: Exactly. You know, and they told me, you know, just come dress normally, come to the church. Well, this is the ritualistic, the tradition. This is how we do it. Tradition. <laughs> and what did I do? I went and I bought a wedding dress.
0: I know you dressed up as a bride. I did. For the Lord. Yeah. On your baptism.
1: I saw it as this is more important than my wedding day. Yeah. So I went and bought myself a wedding dress and they told me, you know, women don't speak. And I decided to speak and share my testimony <laughs> and I kind of rebelled a little bit against what they said, but I felt like I can't keep quiet. Yeah, People need to know why I'm going in these waters. Yeah, They need to understand. So that was a big, another big step for me, that baptism. I remember you speaking. Yeah. And family being there and Yeah, it was a very big step. Mm. I would have done anything to get into those waters. Was Do that you ever, did you
0: ever wonder what Mama would have thought, how proud she would have been to see you immersed?
1: It did cross my mind. But I to be honest I knew how much she wanted to be with her father. I don't even think she would have... I think she'd be so in awe up in heaven that she, would she wouldn't bleed. even be <laughs> thinking about me down here. So you,
0: it's good because this means you had a, a beautiful picture of the father now. Yes. Of God. Yes. And uh, your your outlook towards men had obviously changed and transformed and everything. Definitely shifted. In that yes. Yeah. And fast forward um, to today. mm or last couple of years, uh, you are you have finished Bible college.
1: Still in the process of finishing Bible college. Okay. Yeah, I've got two more years to be specific.
0: So you're in a uh, Australian charismatic church at the moment, not in a an ethnic church.
1: No, charismatic.
0: Yes. Yeah. So correct. you're in uh, yeah, and you're doing voluntary work there, You're part of the ministry team.
1: Yes. Yeah, so part of the ministry. Um, I'm emceeing for the church. Yeah. I'm also, I run a prison ministry where we get the opportunity to go into prisons and share the gospel, share testimonies. Um, Seeing my mum in prison sparked a fire in my heart for the lost and the hurting that are in prisons. So the Lord's opened those doors. Um, Also serve as a youth leader as well at the church. A bit on the coffee, a bit of this, a bit of that, wherever the need is. Yes.
0: Where where have you been? New Zealand?
1: So I've been to New Zealand. And? And Vanuatu. Vanuatu. Yes.
0: Yeah. And you would have been in other places had it not been for COVID.
1: Yes. So we're meant to be in India as well, um, healing some lepers.
0: Yeah.
1: So (laughs) the day will come to do that as well.
0: And fully immersed in all the gospel, evangelism, Holy Spirit feeling, signs and wonders, speaking in tongues, prophesying. Yes. The full, full. That's right. That's right. <laughs> holding nothing back. <laughs>
1: yes, yes.
0: It is possible. Yeah, it, it is possible. possible.
1: It definitely is possible.
0: From from the darkness, from the ugliest of them all, there is restoration.
1: That's right. And you you know you look at the story of Saul, yeah, and how the Lord changed from persecuting Christians and killing Christians, and then planting churches and going and sharing the good news.
0: Now, most people, not even in in let's say in not even a spiritual realm but in a natural realm would not have given you a chance when you were 18 19 yes to to actually have a decent life in this world from you know in the pits in the mixed of in the thick of it all mm-hmm. there was no hope yeah and to most people you would have been a lost case mm-hmm. this would be just a life of drug and abuse probably finishing her 40s maximum 50s
1: I did not think I'd live to 25. Okay. Yeah.
0: And really God turned it yes. all around.
1: Yes, he did.
0: Now, you're also obviously married. Yes. Tell me about Toby. Oh,
1: where to begin? Um, yeah. I <laughs> I didn't expect to meet anyone, to yeah. be honest with you. Uh, did one year of Bible College, um, you know, out on mission, just very focused on the Lord. Yeah. Um, and having... Dates with Jesus and going out and talking to people and doing my evangelistic work. Second year of Bible college was in COVID. Mm -hmm. So it was in lockdown. I met Toby right before the lockdown. Yeah. I was due to... Perfect timing. Perfect timing (laughs) to start a relationship. I was due to go to India.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I remember one of our first conversations, he just decided... he, He walked into my church pretty much. This is from my perspective. He he will tell a different story if you were to ask him. Um, But he walked into my church and I was living in a shared house and one of the girls had come home one night and said, oh, you know, we bumped into this man and he's your husband. The Lord told me he's your husband. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought, oh, yeah, she's...
0: We, we wouldn't let anyone do that in proper schools.
1: So. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's very bold. Yeah. I thought she just must, must be excited, young Christian. You <laughs> Overwhelmed. Know. Yeah, exactly. And then when I saw him come, she's like, that's him. I'm like, oh, well, I better go and greet my husband yeah. to come. That's a little <laughs> joke. Um, so we used to have coffee at, you know, after church, and I would tell him, I'm going to go to India, and I'm going to you know, heal the lepers, and grow arms, and do this, and do that, and... He would listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a feeling he wasn't baptized, but I wasn't sure. And I just thought, whatever, I'm yeah. just going to go for it and tell yeah. him all the plans I have with the Lord. Um, he obviously liked it because he would, you know, keep having coffees with me and asking me questions.
0: He found somebody that can sell better than him. <laughs>
1: yeah. Sell the gospel better than he gospel. can sell
0: BMWs. Because <laughs> he's a BMW. Yes, you know? he is. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, And then he got baptized. We went through COVID lockdown in Victoria around Easter time. Yes. And he got baptized around that time.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So he was able to get baptized during, just before COVID. Yeah. Um, And someone else was meant to get baptized as well during that time. They didn't end up showing, but I was there with some chocolates to, you know, congratulate and congratulated him and, we started talking as friends. We were in the same Bible study. Yes. Um, so we saw each other on Zoom. Essentially, I had to sell my car, so my housemate was like, "Why don't you call Toby?" Yeah. He helped me sell my car. Helped me buy a new car. Yeah. Before you know it, we were in a relationship in the same <laughs> car. In the same car. That's right. And walking, I was walking down the aisle. So we met in the end of January and got married in late November.
0: How did he up the question?
1: So it was, I want to say it was a surprise, but it wasn't really a surprise. In mm. Victoria, you have to let the government know a month before you... Of course, get married. Yeah. I had a dream in 2020, sorry, 2019, that yeah. I was going to get married. Yeah. 27th of November, 2020. Yeah. Um. And I just held firm to that, yeah. even though I was single then. You know, the time would get smaller, and I'd be like, yeah. "Oh well, the man's going to come, the Lord's going to provide." Um, it got to around October, yeah, and we were already talking about children and family, and we oh. were having serious discussions. Mortgages, <laughs> yeah, we're having those heavy discussions, and um, we decided that yeah, we want to get married, and we want to get married soon.
0: And twenty seventh of October was approaching.
1: That's right. That's what was I was thinking
0: in my head. Um, like <laughs> yeah. in your mind,
1: in the back of my I'm mind. I'm a I was minister, like, yeah, it's so I know exactly. Yeah. Um, in fact,
0: I'm actually meeting somebody today in a couple of hours who wants to get married. Uh, a young specific couple. Specific date. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm yet to find out. Yeah. You know, there's always an element of surprise with every couple that I meet.
1: Yeah. So we decided, like we already put in the papers to request a date. before he proposed oh now i was just waiting for the proposal yeah um so it was a day i did not expect it you know my hair wasn't done i didn't really look that great we were just meant to go and have a bible study with um another couple yes so the couple that brought toby to the church yeah um and we were going to like a local park across the road from where we're living and It was actually a beautiful evening. Yeah. He had everything planned and I just had no clue.
0: Yeah.
1: I was like, why are these people acting so weird? You know, we did a little Bible study. The sun was setting and then I saw someone walk past, a stranger. And I thought, the Lord just made made me look at him. And I kind of called him over. I started evangelizing to him and no one was talking to him. And I thought, what's wrong with these people? Why are they not?
0: Interacting, they obviously had a time schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: I wasn't going with their time schedule. So we prayed for him. He had a sore arm. He received healing.
0: So you just healed the guy just before you got uh, yeah, you know, yeah. engaged. Yeah, pretty well, I was late at my own engagement because I healed the guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. But that's the way the Lord wanted it. It was yeah. beautiful. Um, they popped on my favorite song. I had my eyes shut. I was worshiping by the lake. It was dark. And then... I just felt a light in my face and it was my friend filming yeah. with the torch on. And I turned around and Toby was on one one knee. Wow. And um, he quoted scripture to me and he said, Let's go raise the dead, heal the sick and cleanse the lepers. Hallelujah. And proposed and it was just beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: What a commitment to ministry. Yes. Yeah. So it's not just a commitment to life, it's a commitment to everything together. Yes. And you are a team now.
1: That's right. We're one.
0: Beautiful. It's good to see. Now, um, we need to finish off a part of the story that we left a little bit in the air for our people. I mean, Mm -hmm. you and I know it, but most of the audience out there don't know. What happened to your mom?
1: Oh, yes. That's another big testimony. That's that's no, she's not in the drugs anymore. Um so right before right before my grandmother passed away, yeah, she had decided to go and get clean as well. Yeah. She decided to go and get off the drugs and go to rehab. Yeah. I'd already been sober for about seven months. Yes. Um and at this point I was, you know, sitting and praying with my grandmother for her. So the fact that that's probably one of the first answer to prayers that I witnessed. Yeah. Her coming and saying, I've had enough. And that same night we went on a plane and we came to Perth and that's when she started going to rehab. Teen challenge. Teen challenge, that's right.
0: Yeah, like Esperance.
1: Yes. And that changed her life. Um I felt like I lost a mother. Yeah. And had to mourn her old drug drug self. Yeah. And I had gained a new mother. Mm. It was very surreal.
0: Yeah.
1: Very hard. Um, and I'd lost, you know, my grandmother, yeah. but also gained a new mother. Beautiful. And since then, she's been up here in Perth while I've been in Melbourne, which has been hard.
0: But she's a true
1: Yes, and she—that's right. She's walking in that mm. motherly role that she missed out on yeah now she can fulfill that role um not just for me but also for my husband that's beautiful so it is beautiful the lord has restored so much in my life Mm. he's restored me my mother and her for our future family so
0: do you believe obviously you work with youth you work in that space where people get in rehab um Do you see a way out for somebody out of drugs without Jesus? No. Do you know of a case of somebody fully rehabilitated without Christ?
1: I've seen people rehabilitated. But the difference with Jesus is that Jesus gives you a different identity. Mm -hmm. When I talk about my testimony, I talk about my old self. I don't identify with that person. Correct. That person died in those waters. Yeah. And when I came out of those waters, I became brand new. Yeah. So I'm, it's like I'm talking about somebody else. Mm-hmm. With a <clears throat> recovered drug user, they still identify with that, per- that person. You yeah. see Narcotics Anonymous. You see Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And they will be sober for 20 years and they'll say, Hi, my name is... I am an alcoholic.
0: Yeah.
1: They identify with their use they in order. They have broken the curse off their back. That's... That's correct. And they use that as inflicting fear within themselves to not go back.
0: So the difference is they live a life out of fear and they can still live with boundaries out of fear. Whereas you live a life out of love. Yes. You're free. Yes. They are bound by fear. Yes. And that fear holds them from taking drugs, which in effect the result is okay, but the way they go about it is not because they're still trapped. They're yes. trapped into a fear.
1: They're still trapped.
0: Whereas you now, you you obviously have the freedom. Yes. And you're, I mean, you're living out of love. And I say to people, the opposite of of fear is not courage. The opposite mm-hmm. of fear is love. Yeah. And this is the most exemplary way to show it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you're either driven by the fear of relapsing, or you're just loving life now mm. and loving the Lord because that fear doesn't even exist, because in love there is no fear. Yes. And it's very interesting that you say that identity, because identity mm. is at the basis of everything we do. Yeah, We get our values and that's how we live our lives. So if you get your identity right, you get everything right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's amazing that you've come, I don't even know if you, if you know in terms of psychology, in terms of even theology, what you just said here, because mm. this is very, very powerful. It really brings it all home for, for the people out there. So. If there are people who are struggling, and they're considering, um, you know, um, breaking away from that, what would you say to them? Breaking away from addiction.
1: Breaking away from addiction. They need to find out who they are. And who they are is not going. That answer is not going to be found in in the drugs or in the riches, or in anything the world has to offer. They need to know that they've been put here on Earth, on purpose, for a purpose.
0: So created by God, for God.
1: That's correct. You will not know your purpose unless you seek God. And then you'll discover who you are to him. Just how I didn't have a very good um, understanding of a good father figure. Yeah. But my grandmother took that role Yeah. and she became that father figure to me, who even when I did wrong, she wasn't angry, she was disappointed. She corrected me. She mm. loved me. Yeah. She became that. And that was God through her loving me. So, so once you understand and seek God yeah. and you experience his love, and that's when you understand who you are and what your purpose is.
0: So that means your identity is not something you can gain. Correct. It's something you receive. Yes. So the world tells you, you can gain your identity, your freedom. And you. what you're telling here is you can't gain it. Yes. You receive it, it's yes. given. That's right. So the given identity is much better than the identity you can gain yourself.
1: Yes. It's very different. You know, you you want a job, you go and study. Yeah. And you get that qualification, you that's go a, get experience. That's a, gained. That's a gained. gained identity. That's a gained identity. But with your identity in God, you know, we talk about Jesus being a gift. And with a gift, all you need to do is receive it and unwrap it. It's yours. And that comes with. It's given. It's given. And in that,
0: everything is packed in there.
1: That's correct, yes. And the unwrapping is the surrendering. You need to surrender. You need to come to a point of vulnerability, of seeking God it's in beautiful. order to receive it.
0: And there is hope.
1: There is definitely hope.
0: Do you see other people being restored all the time?
1: I do see people being restored I do
0: when you see somebody in the thick of it all, do you see their potential? Can you see beyond?
1: Yes, definitely yeah yes there are you are, are you are
0: you more optimistic and more let's say um, full of hope than most people out there because a lot of people don't give them a chance
1: I think so. I work in a field where People do have a heart for the vulnerable. Yeah. So the people I work with do have hope, but they've been working in the industry for 15, 20 years. That hope is now gone. And they think, well, what does this person, they can't change their life. They've been a drug addict for 15 years. They'll probably die soon. Yeah. But I see so much hope because I was there. Yeah. I should have been dead a very long time ago years ago I believe and God saved me yeah my mum should not be alive and God That's saved right. her so many times so many times and I've heard testimony after testimony yeah of people I've seen so many miracles with my own eyes yeah of people changing yeah and what the Holy Spirit can do to someone yeah so I just think about that person God created them God has a purpose for them yeah and my job is to shine a bit of light. And do what my grandmother did for me to them.
0: Wonderful. Yeah Is that the legacy you'd like to build? What would you like people to remember you by when you are at St. Vincent in palliative care with uh, you know seven children around you and another 20, 30 grandkids?
1: Mm. I just want my life to be lived for Jesus. I want when people to look at me to see Jesus. To see his light, to see his forgiveness, his grace, and his hope, his joy. As long as my life can reflect his love, yeah, that's what I want to be remembered by.
0: It's beautiful, mm. Susan, I honor you, and I thank you thank for coming, you. at king of stories from the Ananda, and just being so raw and real. Mm. Because, you know, we need we need vulnerability. We need mm. yes. We need. Uh, more stories that are real to show God's mercy and love because He gets the glory out of this world. He does. Thank you. Thank you Well, I bet you didn't expect that when you started watching this or listening to this. Well, nor did I. This is the beauty of what Jesus does with our lives that are messed up at times. I don't know the challenges you're facing or maybe somebody you love is facing in addiction, you have a proven story here, a proven model, a proven life that has been restored by the love of Jesus Christ. There is hope, there is a new identity waiting just at the other end of surrender, at the other end of repentance. And Susan's story is an inspiration for us all and brings hope and optimism to us. It is possible to come out well. It is possible for full restoration it is possible to let go of the past so i pray that this inspires you and propels you to carry on if you need this restoration just submit to the lord and if you know somebody else that needs this share this content with them and let them hear this beautiful story and i pray that the lord brings hope into them and faith so they can be renewed and transformed into the image of christ if you love this content we'd love for you to share it subscribe to our channel. Give us five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts and come back at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. It was a privilege to share this with you. and I can't wait to see you next time. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.